Welcome to the Amateur Church Podcast, where we pursue excellence in ministry with the right motivation for the sake of love. I'm Pastor Matt, and I'm so thankful that you're on this disciple's journey with me. This week, we've been reading through the first half of the book of John. And uh, as I've said almost every episode, I love the book of John. I love the way it, that it's written with the purpose of helping us to believe in Jesus Christ and by believing have eternal life. Now, today's episode is the evangelism episode. How do we share the gospel uh, with others around us, specifically from the book of John. Well, I think that we would actually do ourselves a disservice if we did not go to probably the most evangelistic chapter in all the Bible, and that is John chapter 3. It's where Jesus actually shares the gospel with Nicodemus. What I want to do, while we could easily go to John chapter 3, uh, verse 16, immediately, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Uh, what I want to do is I want to walk through this chapter and show you what I've called the four musts, M-U-S-T-S, of the gospel. What must happen for the gospel uh, and the glory of God. And, and so I want to walk through all of this uh, with you. As we begin in John chapter 3, we see that it, it says there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now, Jesus is actually going to meet with him, uh, and uh, and he's going to, uh, to to do this by night. And Nicodemus has a question for him. Uh, he, he says, look, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with you. Jesus says to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus then asked this question, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. But listen to verse 7. Here's where the first must is of the gospel. He says, Do not be amazed that I say to you, you must be born again. Now, I want you to consider this for a moment. Jesus is speaking with the teacher of Israel, the one of the uh, great leaders, this Pharisee, Pharisee who is a ruler of the Jews. And Jesus tells him, You must be born again. Your education does not offer you salvation. Your experience does not offer you salvation. Your authority, your title, your religious activity cannot let you see the kingdom of God. He says one thing, you must be born again. And, and, and in this, I want to remind you that the gospel is centered on the work of God in our hearts, a change of our hearts, a transformation of our lives, not by our oratory skills or not by our jobs or education, but because we are born again. You must be born again. That's where evangelism begins. And when we share with people, we must realize we're not trying to con convert people from doing bad things to doing good things. Things. We're not trying to make bad men better. We are trying to see uh, the dead raised to life by being born again. And Jesus reminds him, it is he, you must be born of the Spirit. And so how does this take place? How are we uh, regenerated? Well, we are regenerated through the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, sometimes uh, there's debate on does, does, does God... Um, 
regenerate you so that you can believe in Jesus, or do you believe in Jesus so that you can be regenerated? And that's uh, that's a heavy question. That's what divides uh, groups uh, into what we would call Calvinist and non-Calvinist. Uh, you know, this this idea: Does God choose whom He's going to regenerate in order for them to believe? Uh, and and honestly, we can debate that all day. I simply lean on John chapter one that says John chapter one verse twelve says, "But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become the children of God." even to those who believe in his name. What that tells me is you receive Christ and you receive then the right to become the children of God, those who believe in his name. And John is writing to those so that they might believe in Jesus Christ and by believing have eternal life. For me, it is this understanding of, yes, the Spirit comes to all and we have the choice to either accept or reject. Uh, and, and I know we can argue about that, but, but what I see in this is you must be born again. And how are you born again? By believing in Jesus Christ. Therefore, those who receive Christ are then born again. I don't believe you're born again first and then receive Christ and trust in Him. I don't believe that's that's just my interpretation. I'm just laying my cards on the table. I, I don't buy that. I believe that you are presented with the, uh, the the offer of salvation. And yes, we are dead in our trespass, trespasses and sins, but there is in us the image of God that is marred and broken, but we are able to make a conscious choice. We make a choice to trust in Jesus Christ, and then we are born again. We are saved. And so what? how, how does that take place? How are we born again? How do we trust in Christ? What do we trust in? Well, look at John chapter 3, verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And so this throws us back to Numbers chapter 21, where Jesus is relating back to the story of Moses lifting up the bronze serpent in the wilderness. And he tells uh, he tells Nicodemus, just as Moses lifted up the serpent. Well, what does that mean? Well, when the children begin, children of Israel begin to complain and grumble, they uh, they were cursed with these snakes, these serpents that came and bit them. And if they were bit, they died. Moses and Aaron intercede on behalf of the people. So God says, construct a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, lift it up. Anyone who looks at the serpent will be healed. And so they, Charles Spurgeon has a wonderful testimony of how he heard this text preached and said, hey, I can look at at, at Christ. And, and so it's easy uh, in that our responsibility is to simply look at Christ. Christ is not cheap, but it's 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 easy. It's elementary. Even a child can get this. All we do is look to the Savior. So the Son of Man must be lifted up. So you must be born again. How are you born again? By trusting in or looking to the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, who was lifted up uh, for salvation. But then notice uh, that the very next verse uh, after that says, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. So therefore, again, just like John 1.12, you believe and then you have eternal life. Regeneration, eternal life comes for me after belief. Now, yes, I believe these happen instantaneous, um, and, and it's hard to see at what moment one takes place, but I am convinced that you believe to be saved, to be regenerated. Uh, and then from that, 
Notice it says, for God so loved the world. Uh, and, and so he has offered this salvation to the world. Uh, he didn't send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This, again, shows me, uh, just like other scriptures show me, the offer of salvation is for the entire world, not just for a limited group of people. It is only limited to those who believe, but God wishes that all might believe. Now, what's interesting is this is not the last must uh, in John chapter 3. We see you must be born again, the Son of Man must be lifted up, but then notice, go all the way down with me uh, to John uh, chapter 3, uh, verse 30. When John the Baptist is questioned on, hey, are you the Messiah? John says, listen, I am not the Messiah. Um, he who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. I'm just the friend of the bridegroom. And in verse 30, he says, he must increase. Now, now, now catch that. This is the gospel story. You must be born again. How are you born again? By trusting and believing on the Son of Man, Son of God, who was lifted up, Jesus Christ, and He must increase. He must be glorified. He must be exalted. Not, not us, not our churches, not our missions, not our uh, opportunities, not our religious activity, but He must increase. And then, notice what John says, I must decrease. This is that process of sanctification where we continue to be humbled in the sight of Almighty God, uh, Jesus Christ, who is King of Kings, Lord of Lords. So uh, very, uh, very important. The musts of the gospel. You must be born again. The Son of Man must be lifted up. He must increase and I must decrease. This is my prayer that we would decrease. Uh, in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, as we close out our evangelism section, uh, our evangelism podcast, this is Throwback Thursday. And so I want to give you a moment in church history. And we have come now to one of the most important times of church history, one that you are probably very familiar with. Uh, and uh, we have seen the, uh, the Protestant Reformation in the past few weeks that led to a separation uh, of, uh, of the Catholic Church and the Protestant churches. We also saw a difference in the Catholic Church and the Church of England um, and, and the rise of, of, uh, of separation. We have seen even last week how many left England and, and uh, particular uh, places in Europe and went to the Americas. We saw the establishment of settlements during the mid-1600s. But during all of this time, during the uh, period of the 17th century, the 1600s, there was the establishment uh, and then publication and spread of what we know as today the King James Version Bible. So think about this. In 1604, uh, King James held a conference uh, because, uh, because of different questions that were rising up in, in the authority of the Church of England. 
and uh, they widely, uh, the widely used Bible that was popular during that time was called the Geneva Bible. King James wanted to replace the, the Geneva Bible. Uh, that was a 1560 version uh, that many people loved. Um, however, it did have, uh, by, by many, a Calvinistic uh, leaning. And so James didn't like this. Uh, the Puritans uh, didn't like the Bishop's Bible, which was a 1568 version uh, that was in churches. Uh, and and, uh, and uh, so during this, they tried to come to some sort of, hey, let's come out with a new version. Uh, and this uh, led King James to get together a uh, 50, uh, close to 50 scholars in 1607. And he put them into six different groups to to look at particular scriptures and translate the Bible. They worked for almost three years individually and and together as a group. And then um, then once all that came together, they uh, took the entire text from Genesis to Revelation and had it uh, go over by a twelve member committee. And uh, one of the things that is not widely known is they did use the original Hebrew and Greek uh, pr predominantly, but they closely followed previous translations. Therefore, when we when we talk about uh, King James uh, Version being a translation, it's actually more of a revision of earlier versions. Uh, so, um, so that's one thing I want to bring out. I love the King James Version, and, and especially if you hear me quote Scripture, more than likely you're going to hear me quote uh, the King James, because that's what I grew up reading and, and, and memorizing. But I do want you to understand that, uh, that it is a revision of many other previously uh, written translations. Uh, but nonetheless, it is one of the most beautiful, I believe, the most beautiful translations of the gospel uh, or translations of the Bible uh, and, and uh, points us to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are indebted to the work that, uh, that those scholars did, that those committees did, that King James authorized. And I am thankful today for the King James Version and for many other modern versions that came from it and, uh, and, and other sources. Uh, so thank you, uh, God, for uh, the King James Version Bible. I love it. I use it. I've even used it for this John uh, study this week. Uh, and so we, we do want to thank God for that moment in church history during the 1600s. 1611 was when it was published, but it spread all throughout the 1600s and became the most popular Bible in, uh, uh, in, uh, today. So as we close out, just remember, I love you. I'm praying for you. Stakes in the ground.